Hey guys, welcome back to VM Nation. Guys, this is going to be a great episode. This is going to be fun. I act, it's actually my honor to be entered, talking to this gentleman. He's one of my favorite coaches and one of my favorite authors ever, period. I have all his books. My bookshelf is actually like this now, thanks to him. But first, I want to thank our sponsors. Um, people always ask me, how do I get so much energy? Because I'm always drinking coffee. But I drink this coffee, which is Soldier Girl Coffee. It's a veteran-owned company. She's also a veteran that struggles with PTSD, and she's not afraid to talk about it. And she hires nothing but veterans. So if you love coffee with some CBD in it, check out uh, Soldier Girl Coffee. And guys, I just want to let you guys know, normally you see me, I'm in black, like Johnny Cash, who's always known as the man in black. But we got brand new spring clothes in, the new hats, the new clothes, um, so if anybody wants to get our swag, um, it's available now. And 22% mm. of anything that we sell goes to help veterans struggling with homelessness and PTSD. So we're always giving back. Uh, so, guys, thank you so much for hopping on. This is going to be a great episode. My brother Kellen is going to be dropping some knowledge. going to be talking about mindset and how to change your mindset and to change your life and break through. And not have just always being down and negative. Coach, what's going on? Hey, thank you for having me. And again, I <clears throat> want to make sure we go on the record here. I'm really grateful. I feel immense gratitude in my heart for the work you're doing, for the love you share, for the good you're adding to the world, for the people who have served and are serving that you're lifting and blessing. And I love the fact that that's old your grow coffee, you know, not afraid to talk about those things. Talking is the first step. Talking, being aware of, getting rid of stigma, you know, creating the opportunity to grow is big. And you're doing that. And I want to honor and acknowledge your work. Thank you. So talk to us a little bit. Tell us where you're from, where you grew up and what kind of little boy was Kellen? You know, I was born in San Francisco, raised in the San Francisco Bay Area, native California, land of the fruits and nuts. I get to say that because I was born there. Um <clears throat> My growing up looked like sort of middle-class-ish two-parent home. Uh, behind the doors was a lot of physical discipline that today would be felony child abuse. My mom, principally, she was young and really didn't know how. She had a very strict set of religious things that needed to be adhered to. And so, uh, you know, she beat the crap out of me. I remember even in high school getting dressed in the locker room last because I didn't want anybody to see I was black and blue and that was as a teenager that sort of thing and so I started out <clears throat> very young believing that I was not good enough and never would be and lived with that that depression which affected me until I was 52 because and I left home at 17 and until I was 52 which is 35 years if anybody wants to do the math I never talked to a soul about any now, of that now I grew up in, a, in an abusive household and for me, books were my solace. They're, they were my friends. They were what I went to when I struggled. What were some of your things that you went to, your go-to? My go-to was music. I loved music. I, it, was, it was a two-edged sword because, you know, rock and roll was starting to happen. And I grew up in San Francisco Bay Area and the time of the hippies starting. And so they were all evil and bad. And so I wasn't allowed to buy records. And I would sneak places and listen to stuff. And... When I had my own money and job, I bought them anyway, and I wasn't allowed to play them on the stereo at home and just all kinds of crazy stuff. But music, I started writing, I started teaching piano when I was 17. I played all my life. So music was my 
refuge and go to and still i've to this day i still own a studio i've done dozens of albums and helped with many many others so music was for me now did you go to college at all i did i went to college right out of high school after after i was 17 went for a couple of years uh, and then i didn't finish i went on a mission for the church that I belonged to. That was part of the expectation. And then I sort of dropped out of the whole church thing and finished college, got my bachelor's degree, probably seven or eight years later at the university, Ottawa University, which is kind of like University of Phoenix, an extension school that had campuses in different places. So I eventually finished a bachelor's in management business administration, but it was a few years later. <clears throat> so did you immediately go into the corporate world? I did. I actually went started working for a utility, electricity, energy. And at the same time, I owned a recording studio. I opened that on the side. And for a dozen years from 82 to, well, 80, 1980 to 1992, for about a dozen years, I ran a studio growing to full time. And I had a full time job as well in the energy industry. And, and in 1992, I finally had to choose and I couldn't choose the music, even though I wanted to. And the studio was doing really well. By then, I'd had some stuff with L.A. A&M Records and some, you know, serious work. <clears throat> Worked with people that eventually won some BMI awards and that kind of thing. But I couldn't do it because I was still trying to, you know, make my mom happy and be get that approval. And so the choice there was do the traditional thing, which was pursue the corporate fully and so i did and became very very successful i shut the studio down in 92 and then for the next 15 years from 92 to 2007 i had a wildly successful corporate career from the outside uh high positions blah 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 c-suite and united states and canada made a lot of money behind the scenes i was a disaster I was married and divorced three times. I was in and out of rehab. I was a drug addict. I was a pathological liar. I didn't know how to be a person. I didn't know how to have a relationship. I had 10 children by multiple marriages. And in wait, 2000, wait, how many? 10. One, two, three, four, 10. God, wow. Did you not have a TV? You know, and that's part of the story of the divine intervention that changed my life, the TV. But I wasn't much of a TV watcher. Uh, for many of those years, up until 92, I was doing the studio all the time. So I was working two full-time gigs. And after 92, the, the corporate, in order to get those kind of positions, you ended up working a lot. So that sort of took the took all the time. But that had nothing to do with kids. It wasn't that I didn't know how it worked. I just had kids so you know i'm an addict you know i tell everybody and i'm proud to say you know i'm clean 33 years just celebrated new year's eve um but there's such thing as being a functional addict and a lot of people don't realize that a lot of your people in the business sector in the, especially the entertainment sector a lot of them are functioning addicts so how did you stay a functioning addict all those years? Well, I don't know. <clears throat> I, I was able to do it. And in fact, when I had the sudden divine intervention thing that changed everything in 2007, after 35 years of this roller coaster, I was a C-suite executive with a $3,000 a week cocaine problem. And I was making so much money that didn't matter. I was a, 
wild addict. The addiction is really self-loathing. The drugs and alcohol were just what was handy to make it less painful. Be really clear. The addiction was I needed to hate myself because I believed with all my heart I sucked. I was not good enough. I didn't deserve this kind of success. Uh, in in up at that time, you know, when everything changed, I was uh, I was single again for the third time, making all kinds of money with that bunch of addictions. And I had just finished two years before a 30 day secret rehab where they put people that, you know, you can't really know about it you know, off the grid, that sort of thing. So I'd done all that and was a wildly functioning addict. And how did I do that? I don't know. I, I simply did that until, um, until God said, we're doing something else. <clears throat> and, and, I, and I definitely believe in divine intervention. I'm a believer. So I definitely believe, he, you know, it says that eventually that every knee shall bow. Um, some of us are kneel. We get humbled a little bit earlier than a lot of people. But um, I actually interviewed Brian Cuban, Mark mm -hmm. Cuban's brother. Oh, and wow. he was telling me how even though he was successful, he was, when the Dallas Mavericks made it to the championship, he was actually selling the tickets to his drug dealer. So he can get more cocaine. And it looked like he was good on the outside, but he was a struggling addict on the inside. So it's amazing what we may look at. We may look successful, but inside we're we're totally we're shitbags when you look at it if you, if you, from the inside out. So what was your can you take us back to your come to Jesus moment? Yeah, it was uh, August of 2007. I can remember it all like yesterday. Uh, I was that successful and that addicted. I came home on a Friday night and uh, I was getting ready to go party for the weekend, which meant I may have come back Monday or Tuesday. Uh, I had four of my 10 kids living with me. I was, they were all teenagers. Three were grown up and married and three were, it sounds embarrassing and ridiculous to say this, but with one of my exes, I was single again to the, for the third time, ready to go out to party. And I, just before I went out, I had this urge to turn on the television. Now, <clears throat> that doesn't sound like anything except I didn't watch TV. And on top of that, I realized that when I went to turn it on and didn't know how. I I'd had the electronics guy come and put in the big cool stuff, right? The biggest you could buy because, you know, that's what you do when you make all that stupid money. But I didn't watch it, so I didn't know how to turn it on. So I'd ask one of the kids, and my daughter came in and took the remote and turned it on, threw it at me, you know, dip weed, and then left the room. It landed on a program I'd never heard of, and the name of the program was Intervention. Now, if you know what that is, you know what it is, right? Yeah. And the protagonist was a high-ranking executive with a cocaine problem. So I watched about 10 minutes, and I could, you know, obviously there's me on the screen. And I said, screw this. I'm not watching it. So I turned it off and went, did the dishes, stomped around for a few minutes, and was just getting ready to leave. And I felt compelled to turn it on again. Okay. And this time I knew how. So I turned it on again. And that program <clears throat> started over at the beginning and no i don't have a dvr and no it wasn't on the schedule and no it can't do that i got that but it did and so it scared me and i thought i guess i'm supposed to watch this so i watched and it went badly the guy yelled at his family didn't do any good stomped out etc cetera, etc cetera. but it scared me bad enough that i didn't go out to party i went to bed and <clears throat> when i went to bed i went to hell and what I mean by that is I, I was I went somewhere that felt out of body. I was like in a theater and on the stage was a parade of all of the suffering that had gone on in my life, starting when I was young, uh, 
the suffering that had been inflicted on me all the way up through today, all the suffering I had inflicted on others with my addictions and, you know, the everything that I had, the divorces and just the whole mess. And never in any universe can I describe the suffering, the pain that I experienced and felt. And after some period of time, a voice simply said, it is enough. I woke up and I was surprised because the sun was shining in the window and the windows were facing west. So I got up and I realized it was five o'clock Saturday afternoon. So I'd been somewhere for nearly 18 hours and realized I'd been invited to quit. I had no change. I had no idea what to do or how to do anything, but I quit cold turkey straight up right then. And so that was getting sober. And that was the first half because getting sober was the the easiest of the two things because it didn't do anything to do, have do anything about how I got where I was, which was this ongoing depression. So two weeks later, the, the other shoe dropped. Two weeks later, I'm at work and I hadn't quit. I knew I had to get away from everything, but I hadn't quit yet. And I got tickets because of the positions I had. I used to get free stuff all the time, free booze, free tickets, free box seats, free this, that, and the other, because I made decisions that mattered to a lot of companies and everybody wanted to be nice to Kellen. So one of the things I got was a free pair of tickets to see uh, Yo-Yo Ma. If you know classical music, you know who that is. And if you don't, you don't. It's fine. But in classical world, you, oh, so I thought, oh, it'd be a shame to waste this other ticket. So I asked in the groups that I managed who likes classical music and some lady in one of the groups, I didn't know very well, but I knew her, said, I do. And I looked at her and I said, have I ever given you anything before? And she said, uh, no. I said, okay, fine. See you there. So we met at the venue and the concert was spectacular. Halfway through, I got to remember, I'm two weeks stone cold sober. Uh, Halfway through. I had this feeling come over me that I recognized from earlier, two weeks earlier. And this voice said in my head, you need to marry this woman. And I said, you're insane. I said, I've screwed that up three times officially with some other messes in between. That's just not happening. Later that night, we were backstage because, of course, they were backstage passes. And the voice came back, comma, and you need to tell her tonight. And I freaked out. Because I'm like, she going to be arrested. I mean, she works in one of my groups for harassment and whatever. I, I, come on. But you don't win those arguments. So I told her, and it went about like you would have expected. Are you out of your mind? But thank goodness she didn't have me arrested. And within a couple of weeks after that, uh, she had her own set of experiences. She resigned a very nice career that she had. She was a project manager in one of the groups. And I quit, walked away from millions of dollars of contracts, and we sort of walked off into the sunset together. And two months ago, we celebrated our 14th wedding anniversary. And it's a fabulous story. But the thing that's important about it is this. She was the angel that was sent to help me for the first time in my life learn how to be a person learn how to tell the truth, how to have a friend, how to be a friend, how to talk to somebody. Uh, Up until that moment, 
at 52, I had never talked to anyone about what was going on in my heart, my, my depression, my sadness, my feelings of worthlessness or anything. And she was invincible in her support. And I've asked her over and over again, what on earth would possess you to walk off into the sunset with a drug addict? Because everybody knew, but they didn't know, you know. She said, I just knew that it was the right thing to do to the core of my soul. And so I say that because it doesn't matter, your audience. Look, I don't care where you've been. Like if anybody could have been left at the bottom of the canyon, that would have been me. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what's happened to you before today. The future is blank. And maybe I was more thick-headed than most and needed the two-by-fours. But the truth is you can have anything you want. You can change anything you want. And whether it's a little at a time or suddenly walking off into the universe, not having any idea what you're going to do like I did, I don't know. But it's never too late and it's never impossible. Okay. Now, a lot of the people that I, in my audience, um, military, you know, they get out of the military and not only do you lose our, our missions, we lost our career. And a lot of us, you know, we don't know where to start. And it, it was hard for me. Like I attempted suicide Memorial Day 2012 because, you know, I was going to do 30 years in the military, but, do, but getting hurt on duty and becoming blind, you can't see, you can't shoot. We don't need you. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm no longer Sergeant Kaufman but I don't know who Richard is and it scared the bejesus out of me. And that's when I had to start learning how to reinvent, reimagine and reinvent myself. So how did you go about, what are some steps that some, somebody's listening can go about to start reimagining and reinventing their lives? So he, here's the, even with those dramatic stories, all they were is invitations. So I stopped doing drugs and I quit my career, walked away from all those contracts and walked off into nothing. I didn't know. There wasn't a roadmap laid out about what to do next. So I had to say to myself, what do I know how to do? Okay, I'm not going to do nothing. And what I realized was that because of the work that I had done before, whether it's your military work, what I knew I knew how to do was I had made a career out of helping people do things they didn't believe they could do. That's how I got to be this high-powered consultant. I got called in to do these hard things. So I thought, okay, what is that, helping people doing, do hard things? Well, I think that's coaching. So I started exploring coaching stuff and I looked it up online and read a bunch of books and, and I enrolled in a coaching program to learn about it and to see and realize two important things. Number one, I was really good at it. And, and number two, it was more fulfilling in my soul than anything else I'd ever done. And though I didn't make any money at first and my learning to make money was slow, it felt so good to be helping and serving and authentically doing stuff instead of just being important and making big money and hating myself. And so the key to stopping the hate 
for myself was being of service to simply go do things of, of love and service. And many of them I didn't get paid for. I volunteered in community and churches and in music and things to help. And that honed my skills because in those situations, you can't tell people what to do. You have to invite them and you have to do it from the side, not like you did when you were somebody's boss. And so it was a different skill set. So serve and you have to take action. I mean, you're free to sit and do nothing. So was I. You know, we're all free to do that. Nobody's going to make you. But the truth is no one is coming. Nobody's coming. I, I quit. I went home and sat there and nobody came. And nobody came the next day and the next day. And there was no, like, no prospect of something coming. I had to invent it a day at a time as I went along. And I tried different things. I Then I started exploring writing. And I hadn't written a thing before that. I didn't imagine myself an author. And then I realized I needed to tell the stories of what I just told you and stuff. So I looked it up about how to, to write and I started writing. And now I've written 16 books and I have six more underway. And I wasn't anything before 2008. I wrote the first ones in 2009. I hadn't done any of that. And so it was a little at a time inventing myself. Nobody came. And and, no, and it's true because even like Tony Robbins says, <laughs> nobody's coming. Um, you got to figure this out. And sometimes you you have to ask for help and humble yourself and say, listen, they just say you don't know what you don't know. And sometimes, like for me, I, I realize I'm a great interviewer. I'm a great relationship builder, but I suck at graphics. I suck. I suck at promotion. So I hired somebody that's great at that job. And I think a lot of time we try to be the lone wolf. And we, and you, when you're a lone wolf, you can't, you know, the lone wolf never eats. And he's if never I can... safe. I, I love what you're saying, Richard. Thank you. If I could beg your audience to do this, don't do it yourself. It's not even better if you do it yourself. It's not a badge of honor to do it yourself. You're not somehow more cool if you don't need help. We all are built as human beings to love and support each other. So go do that. Both sides go serve and ask and accept the collaboration and service that can be provided by others. It is a joyous condition of interdependence, of working together, of supporting people. It, it feels good. We have neurotransmitters that are released when we're in that process. We're literally built physiologically to love and serve each other. You know, and that and goes I, both ways. I know you've, you've worked with very high-powered CEOs and stuff, but I'm seeing that a lot of CEOs are dealing with depression. A lot of them uh, suicidal. Um, a lot of them go through divorces, like almost like the military. And for me, I, you know, even like the Bible, it says, you know, what good is it to gain the world but lose your soul? But for me, it's kind of like, what good is it to have that big house and the big pool and the big car and you're eating dinner at the kitchen table by yourself? So talk to us about, you know, when you go in and talk to these high level CEOs, what do you how do you talk to them? What do you say to them? Well, one of the things that allows me to do that 
is I've been there. <laughs> I've been in that chair and been putting on the facade. So it's easy for me to pick up on cues of camouflaged bravado, uh, hidden sorrow, the energy that someone carries around. I had a guy say to me once who owned a company and he said, I'm going to be the champion something, the next best. Oh, I know Zig Ziglar before Zig Ziglar dies. I'm going to be the next Zig Ziglar own the highest training company in the world, biggest most sales, whatever. And the energy around him was not true and not bad, but just wasn't true. And I felt that I looked at him. I said, you don't believe that. And it, it, he, it freaked him out so much because I wasn't challenging him. I didn't say he couldn't do it. I just said, you don't believe that. And then he stopped and waited for a minute. And he said, well, I'm working on that. And that started a conversation that led to him being a client. Because he recognized, number one, that I was right. And that I could see that he didn't believe it. And that the energy was not truth. And so that the thing that is so prevalent among people who look like they're got it all together and all this stuff is that they don't, they don't have anybody to talk to and they feel obligated to keep this pretense up of all togetherness. And it's not true, not a hundred percent of the time, but way more often than you'd think. So talk to us about um, what was it like writing your first book and was it cathartic? Was it something that like for me, when I wrote my book, it was very cathartic, but it also opened up a lot of wounds that I had to heal. And I actually had to go to a lot of people and ask forgiveness for some of the shit that I did in the past. So what was it? What is it like writing for you today? Well, I love it today. But to start with, it was terrifying. When I wrote Tightrope of Depression, my journey from darkness, despair and death to light, love and life, I waited a year after I finished it to publish it because I was so frightened. Uh, I was frightened about what people would think. I was frightened about telling the truth. Uh, I was frightened for the reaction that I did. And it turns out I did get some of the reactions, some blowback and some stuff. But I was, I just decided eventually it didn't matter. And it, some of it did happen. Not as much as I thought, but, but some of it did happen. And it was real and it was painful. But it was very cathartic. So in the intro to Tightrope, I have, I say, I'm writing this book for three reasons. One, I need to. I just need to tell the story. Uh, it wasn't an angry story. I wasn't yelling at anyone. I just needed to tell the story. The second reason I wrote it is I was hoping that somebody else or somebody's else would read it and it would be helpful. So they knew they're not alone and they have some ideas about what I did and what they might do. And the third reason I wrote it was for caregivers of those who have or busted in some way, like to give them some insights from somebody else as to what's going on that might be helpful in that way. So I absolutely was cathartic, absolutely did it for three different reasons. And after, and it was terrifying to start with. It was clumsy. I didn't know exactly what I was doing. Now I have a system and, you know, of course, because I've done it a lot and it's easy and fun and everything else. But to start with, it was scary and hard. <laughs> Yep. See, like I wrote my first book and it hit number one twice on Amazon. And I never thought I had a second book in me. But now we're working on a second book because, you know, now we're on three. Um, I mean, season three of the show, 400 episodes on resilience. So somebody was like, you have to write another book because everything you've you've learned. And the, the new book is called Too Dumb to Quit. 
a story of resiliency. So, you know, a lot, a lot of times when you, when you write a book, you're like, all right, I blew my load. I don't think I have anything left. Did you have to really, was it a struggle to start writing in the second one or did you go right into it? <laughs> I felt just like you did when I wrote tightrope, <clears throat> I never planned to write another book, certainly not another one about myself. <clears throat> and when I got done, it wasn't even published yet. During the year I was waiting, afraid to publish it, I realized two things. One, I wanted it to be different, so I decided to do some music. So then I wrote an album of music, 11 songs to tell the stories from this. And then I realized that I needed volume two because the story wasn't done at all. So before I even put the published it, even though the book was done, I started volume two, which is down from the gallows. And this tells the, the continuing story. And I also did an album of music with this, 11 songs telling stories. And the, tr the third volume, which will be the, I promise the last, the conclusion of the trilogy will be out in January. And that also has the album of music and stories on that or is about half done. So that is a trilogy that I never intended to be anything except a book that I needed to write for me to start with. <clears throat> and I think everybody has a book in them. You know, I, I believe everybody ha has a story and they all need to be told. Um, so talk to us about what you're doing today and how we can support your mission, find your books. And I want to talk about your podcast a little bit. So I only do one thing. And I literally mean that from the first moment I open my eyes, <clears throat> the first thought in my mind is this thought that I'm going to tell you and all the way through all day long. So whether I'm writing books, appearing on beautiful opportunities with Sergeant Kaufman X uh, or other people or coaching people, which I'll talk about in a sec, <clears throat> or doing music or Facebook lives or whatever it is. The one thing I do is I have committed to help 10 million people discover, develop and serve with their divine gifts. And, and whether it's Facebook Lives or my podcast, which I'll tell you about in a sec, or appearing on your thing, I am I'm going to help 10 million people at a minimum, and that's floor, not a ceiling, discover, develop, and serve with their divine gifts. That's all I'm doing. Because the experiences of my, of my life have led me to know the most important thing we can do is to lean into the truth of who we are. And that is a divine being created with mission and purpose. And maybe you got way off track like I did. I don't know. I don't care. Get back on track a little at a time. Change direction. The direction's more important than where you're at right now. So if your trajectory is up and you want to raise it a little bit, great. But just keep going. Keep going. You know, you've all heard the saying when you're going through hell, keep going. Okay. I mean, we're all free to sit and quit, but we know what that does. So one of the things that I'm doing today is a podcast. At the beginning of the po pandemic, my wife got a phone call from somebody that knew I do motivational speaking and stuff. And uh, they were just starting the lockdowns. It was in Italy, cases were exploding and maybe we thought for five minutes this was the end of the world or something. I don't know. But anyway, somebody called my wife and said, does Kellen have a podcast? And we didn't, but she said, yes. And uh, so she came downstairs and said, we have a podcast. And I said, okay. So uh, I decided if I was going to do it, I was going to do it. So I have a daily 15-minute podcast called Your Ultimate Life. And I've defined that. Creating the ultimate life is a life of purpose, prosperity, and joy that you create by serving with your divine gifts. 
and I just recorded episode 600 and I don't know, 629 or something. We'll be coming up on two years in April and that should be 730. I think we missed a few days here and there when we moved, but we're pretty close, 600 and something. And we'll be to 700 soon. So that's that. It's a daily podcast. It's a labor of love, just like yours, designed to help people. I do a lot of Facebook Lives. I write books and I have coaching programs. I help people write books. I help people accomplish goals. I'm really big on making choices about what you want. Like, who do you want to be? Or do you want to be a, an entrepreneur? Do you want to be an entrepreneur that makes a difference, that makes money, that carries a message? Do you want to be a messenger? Like, what do you really want? And those kind of people that are willing to do the work it takes, they're the ones that I work with. So I have private coaching. I have small groups. You know, if you want to get a hold of me, I'm really easy to find. I have, Kellen Flukiger is a really weird name, and I can't hide. So as long as you spell it right, you can find me anywhere. Amazon, Google, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever. I love it. So last question I have, um, talk to, um, like I said, I've had, I think like 400 mm -hmm. interviews and I ask this question and everybody gives me a different answer and they're all great answers. Um, we're in a crazy world right now, especially now, uh, but, uh, we are in a COVID world still. And I had one of the Iron Chefs on last week from the Food Network. And he said, you know, in, in the United States, we've lost over 100,000 restaurants in the last two years. So there's a lot of people out of work in the United States just driving Uber, DoorDash, just trying to put food on the table. So if I ask the average American to do something in seven days, they're never going to get it done. But if somebody's listening to us right now, and I ask them to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours, they're more likely. So I'm going to ask you a two-pronged question. Number one, if somebody is struggling with addiction, what can they do in the next 24 hours to get some clarity and help? And number two, if somebody is struggling in business, what can they do in the next 24 hours to start to get some help? All right, well, if you're struggling with addiction, then the, the first thing to do is decide that you're going to change because you can, you're free to stay where you are, but you know what that's like because you're living with it. <clears throat> when I decided to get some help and went and did it, so whether it's 12-step or talk to a, you know, a hotline, like, but your heart has to decide, I'm done with this. I'm done with this. I don't know how to fix it. I may not know how to do it, but I have, I, I'm going to take control of these levers of my life. And I, I may fall down. And if you fall down, fine, get up, fess up, clean it up and recommit. Like stop the drama, but grab control right now. You don't have to wait 24 hours. In the 24 hours, call somebody, find out where your local 12-step or church or other thing that you can do. Instead of focusing on some, often we focus on things we can't do. I can't do that. I can't do this. Okay, fine. You're free to quit. But if you're really going to change, then find the one thing you can do. And that starts with a decision and to talk to somebody. That's what I didn't do for 35 years. And it cost me those 35 years. So that's the first one. If you're struggling in business, <clears throat> there's there's three questions that matter in business. Number one, <clears throat> is there money moving in the vertical? 
that you are in. So whatever your service is or product, are people buying it? Is there money moving in that part of the economy? And, and if the answer is yes, and for nearly every business it is, there's a river of money. People are buying and selling that product. Okay, good. Then you're okay. And if the answer really is no, then you, you know, you may want to change your vertical. If nobody's buying and selling what you're offering, you know, you then, then you're faced with a really difficult task that takes longer to solve, and that's to create demand for something people don't buy and sell right now. So let's say the answer is yes, there is money moving. <clears throat> okay. Now, this is the most important. Step two, what is your superpower? Like whatever your service is, your product or service, why would somebody buy it from you instead of from somebody else? You need to be really clear about that because that's what you stand on. That differentiator, if you're selling nuts and bolts and Home Depot sells them, that's a commodity. And then you're really talking about, you know, commodity pricing and margins there are really, really thin. It's a little bit different now with supply chain disruptions. But so figure out why someone would buy you. That's important. And then the second thing, the last thing, the third step is if you have money moving in the thing that you do in the vertical, I call it a vertical, but in the area that you service and you know for sure why someone would buy it from you then the only reason you don't have all the money you want is because people don't know right because if there's money moving and you know for sure what your superpower is and the only reason you're not flooded with business is because people don't know that superpower and so then your then your goal is to say how can i make people aware of maybe a, maybe demonstrations samples it depends on what it is we have tools today that a few years ago when i first opened my recording studio there were no internet there was nothing so the ability today to get on social media and touch everybody in the universe it's unprecedented and then so many people are afraid to do this that and the other and that's a different problem that's your old mindset problem but you have to let people know about your superpower not just i sell this widget but i sell this because this and this is the superpower that's the ticket to prosperity in business is to help people understand the difference not just the thing but the difference in your widget and I think it's a great point. And I think today's generations coming up, they're more, they want to know more about who you're helping out. They want to, you know, they, they don't care what you're really selling. They want to be, be part of a mission. They, you know, they want to be part of something. And Absolutely. I think that if people don't, they can't relate to you, then they're not going to be part of your mission. I love that. And thank you for saying it. Your superpower might be that you're committed to ending illiteracy or clean water, or you've now started a fund to help with Ukraine or, you know, and that's what you're selling is the mission that you have, the thing that makes you special and different. And maybe it isn't even about, and thank you for saying that, isn't even as much about the widget as it is about the mission. So you have your coffee sponsor, but it's the, the thing is the veteran aspect. The thing is the CBD. The thing is you're supporting a cause. And so cause-based stuff is exploding because like I like we talked about start with people want to be connected 
And so connect them, give them an opportunity to connect to your thing, your person, your cause, your truth. And that's, that's the key to growing business. I love it, coach. Coach, I, I'm so grateful. Like I said, all your books are amazing. They're quick reads. And for me, I, I love to, you know, a quick read, something that's easy to digest. So I love all your books. Your podcast was, is great because in 15 minutes, you can, in a half hour from driving back and forth to work, you can catch two, three episodes. So where do we find your podcast again? It's called Your Ultimate Life, and it's on all the regular stations, Amazon, iTunes, Spotify, Deezer. I don't know the list, but anywhere you get your podcasts, put my name in, and uh, you'll see my uh, mug on the front, Your Ultimate Life. I love it. So, guys, definitely check out Coach. Make sure you support his mission, pick up his books. You're not going to be um, unsatisfied with his books. I want to thank our sponsors once again, Soldier Girl Coffee. Um, it's also, like I said, it's a, it's a company that's a veteran owned company, but she'll, she'll tell you that she struggles with PTSD and she uses the CBD to help with her, her, uh, PTSD. So definitely check her coffee out guys. If you like wearing nice swag, comfortable swag made in the United States, made in the U S definitely get our swag and 22% of everything that I sell go to help veteran homelessness and vet, help veterans with mental health issues. So everything is about paying it forward. And I think you guys know that. So guys, definitely check out Coach. And remember, uh, vertical momentum, the only way to go is but up. All right, guys, and I'll catch you on the flip. Coach, thank you so much. You're welcome. And thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. Be good. Thank you for joining us today please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.